Hey everyone, this is T-Roll, the host of the Campus Outreach Podcast. We're taking a break from our normal podcasts over the summer, and instead we'll be posting audio versions of various talks that were given at our beach project from earlier this summer. If you are interested in viewing the video form of the following message, please go to cobirmingham.org forward slash campus talks to find all of our talks from this year's beach project. Thanks so much and enjoy today's talk. Crusade for Christ, a guy named Bill Bright, 
He said, if, we, if you win the university today, you will win the world tomorrow. So why in the world do we say that? Because over the last 250 years of world missions, God has just chosen to use the college campus as one of the main catalysts for sending people and for giving people the vision to use their lives, no matter if they stay here or go overseas, they're using their lives for the sake of the gospel. It's been that way for 250 years, so we're going to talk about some of those things tonight. Um, if you think about what it, if you think about what college is even like, uh, it's a time in your life where you're becoming who you're going to be for the rest of your life. There's a great myth that freshmen come in believing, and some of you still may believe this. What I do now is not going to affect me later. Whereas statistically, like statisticians would show, research has shown that the habits that you're building now follow you for the rest of your life. So if you're laying a foundation for walking with Jesus here in college, guess what follows you the rest of your life? Those things that you are learning. That's why we think something like Summer Beach Project is so important. Uh, one guy says this, college students are the most reachable, recruitable, trainable, and sendable category of persons on the planet. So when we think about the need for laborers that Kent just talked about, I think about a passage that he mentioned, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to read it real quickly, <laughs> come back to it in just a minute. But it said, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples, in all their wisdom, said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. He says the, the fields are white for harvest. This, the harvest is a metaphor that's talking about uh, how God is sowing the seed of the gospel and producing a harvest or fruit that leads to eternal life. So this is a metaphor talking about people becoming Christians, talking about the movement of the gospel. And when he says it's white for harvest, he's saying it is ready. It is time for the reapers to come. And he's looking out at the fields and he's, as Kent mentioned, the city of Samaria is coming out to him. Many are coming. And he's saying, they're ready. The time is now. And when I think about the college campus, I think about a place that is right, ready for us. People are figuring themselves out. They're learning who they're going to be. They're, you guys are still in your 20s. Your whole 20s is a lot about my identity. Who really am I? So... What happens is people try a lot of things, and then they start seeing the emptiness that comes with the things that they're doing. They start questioning stuff. And it's like every college campus is like right, ready for a gospel movement to happen. So the problem is not a problem with the harvest. The problem is that there are just not a lot of workers. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers now, the laborers, the workers are few. Now, this makes the college campus strategic for ministry, but also 
think about when you've got a group of people who literally are asking questions about who they are, and one of the questions we might ask is, what difference can I make? And you're on this campus that is right, not only for people to become Christians, but also for people to understand that I really can make a difference in the world. And so we send them out. We say that the college campus is a strategic place to send people out into the harvest, just like what we talked about. And God has been using the college campus for the last 250 years to do that. <coughs> so I wanted to tell you just a few stories from how God has done that. Um, I forgot to take a direct passage. Sorry about that. So this guy, Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I got it right the first time, that's all you need. So this guy, as a student, gets together with other groups of students and starts what we call the Order of the Grain of the Mustard Seed. It was like a, a, a secret society for spiritual things, right? I guess the college campus has always been ready for secret societies, right? Um, but their goal, their stated goal was to pray together for each other to try to help the persecuted church in some ways and to figure out how to get the gospel to every people on earth. So later, with that in mind, this guy, who, so he was a count, so he had some money, right? So he's got a lot of property, and he starts taking in, later in life, he starts taking in these people who were being persecuted for their faith. And they started what was called the Moravian Brethren. And so what was happening is God had just stirred something in his heart when he was a student. And so they started thinking, you know what, let's send people out. So they started praying for the world and started sending people out very quickly. No seminary degree required. They were self-sustaining. So that means they went out and actually started a lot of businesses. So they were very uh, productive. Uh, they created industry where they went. They started actually purposefully going to the most despised and neglected people. So some of the first missionaries that they sent out actually found out about the plight of the slaves of the islands of St. Croix and St. Thomas in the uh, Danish West Indies or something like that. Uh, I probably will figure my notes here out what that was. I got that right. Danish West Indies. And they hear about the plight of these slaves, and they're like, we want to take the gospel to them. And they find out that they actually can't get there. <laughs> what they realize is in order to take the gospel to those slaves, they would have to become slaves themselves. So they sold themselves into slavery. You heard that right. They sold themselves into slavery. They're getting on the boat because the stuff that they sold helped pay their passage to get there. They get on the boat. The people from their, their place that they have in Hearn Hut, they're... They're crying. They're seeing, the, they're seeing these guys, these two guys sail off. And they yell back to those on the shore, May the lamb who is slain receive the reward of his sufferings. There we go. And that became the cry of the Moravian brethren. And they sent out a bunch of missionaries and did a lot of things. All because of what God was stirring up in the lives of the students. Well, fast forward about 100 years, and you got a, you got a guy named Samuel Mills, and some of these guys, I couldn't get pictures of when they were in college, so just imagine this guy a lot younger, uh, and this cheesy picture on the left there. Um, <coughs> I'll explain in just a second. 
But there's a thing that's known as the haystack prayer meeting. Any of you guys heard of that? Okay, I see a couple of hands up. Basically, this guy, Samuel Mills, who was not super impressive when you meet him. They say he had a croaky, squeaky voice, but he was a leader. He was ready to influence people. He got a group of, of five people, four other guys, got them together, and they would pray every Wednesday and Saturday, and they would just start praying for the world, start praying for the nations. He did this as a freshman. And so they're praying one, one uh, day, one Saturday at the river, and a thunderstorm comes, and they take off running, and they have to take shelter under the lee of a, a haystack. So that's what the picture that you see on the left. Now, I don't think it looked like that. They're probably like, God, oh, I can't believe it. You got caught in the rain. It's like, well, might as well pray here. We're stuck. So they start praying. And instead of just praying for God to send people around the world, they started thinking, maybe it should be us. Maybe we should go. And so they left that saying, we can do this if we will. And so Samuel Mills challenged these guys to read uh, a book that we, a guy named William Carey had wrote. And these five freshmen were the ones that out of what they started stirring up on their campus, then they went to seminary and started stirring up, they started traveling and stirring some stuff up. Out of that, every denomination at that point started creating missionary societies out of what those freshmen did. You start reading about all that Samuel Mills did. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> so he had a heart, again, kind of like the Moravian Brethren, he had a heart to see God do some things to those that, uh, that were uh, oppressed and things like that, and started getting a vision to, to see, and he's living in the 1800s now, he started having a vision, or start uh, getting a vision for seeing slaves released and being sent back to Africa as missionaries to their homeland. And so he actually died at sea, coming back from a trip where he was trying to like purchase some land and do some things to stir it up so that we can send some people back to be missionaries in Africa. He did all this. So if you read all this, it's like uh, he died at age 32. God just chose to work through this guy that is apparently pretty unimpressive. He does have a crazy good beard there, um, so I'll give him that. But God was just working and decided to use a bunch of freshmen. Out of what happened with these guys, they met a guy in seminary named Adoniram Judson, who uh, is known as the, the first uh, American missionary that was sent out intentionally in that way by a mission board, and saw a huge work in Burma happen over a period of 40 years, 8,000 8, believers, all that. But fast forward about 80 years, and a guy named Luther Wisher. He starts remembering and reading and hearing about what happened at the Haystack prayer meeting. And he went back to where that happened, where they were under the Haystack. He, he kind of, after some investigation, figured out where it was. And he just began to pray, where water once flowed, let it flow again. He's like, let this happen again. And so what he did is he decided to, to connect with a guy named D.L. Moody, who was actually a very famous uh, evangelist of the day. And he convinced them to do a four-week project. They didn't call it Summer Beach Project, uh, but it was very similar to that. It was a one-month conference where they started inviting people to come. Kent mentioned uh, uh, Robert and Grace Wilder, a brother and sister. They went to two different, were at two different campuses, had a heart for missions, stirred it up, got a bunch of people there. 
And out of that, they sent 100 missionaries overseas. Well, then they started praying, God, what can you do in this? That's where the student volunteer movement that we just heard about, that's where it happened. Over 40 years, 100,000 volunteers committed their lives to missions. 100,000. Of that 100,000, 20,000 actually went, and 80,000 stayed here to send them. That's significant, because you need to understand, who had the most important role in that? Trick question. They all had an important role to play, and that's what this is about tonight and tomorrow, is understanding that we have a part to play, that whether I go or whether I sin, whatever that I'm to be doing in my life, I need to be about God's heart for the world and sending people all over the world. And it starts right here where we are. As a result of what happened, one out of every 37 college students in the U.S. had committed to overseas missions. One out of 37. Imagine if that happened at your campus. What can God do? Well, out of this, there was a guy named Cameron Townsend. He became known as Uncle Cam. Uncle Cam was one of the guys that came out of the student volunteer movement. He was so passionate about missions after hearing what was going on that he actually, don't do this, but he dropped out of school in order to just go ahead and go to the field. And he was going to get Bibles, uh, Spanish Bibles, to the natives of Guatemala. And while he was doing that, um, he was uh, ministering to this group, the, the Kachakekal Indians, I can't say it, which is part of the story, actually. And one day, one of them said, why, if your God is so smart, hasn't he learned our language? They were passing out these Spanish Bibles, and these guys were like, this is not the language. Yeah, we can speak Spanish because we can, you know, talk to the people around us, but this isn't our language. If your God is so smart, why doesn't he speak our language? And so this guy started to realize, wait a second. Like, we might think that Guatemala is all speaking Spanish, but there are actually several different languages. Out of his work started a ministry called Wycliffe, which has been leading the way for Bible translation around the world for decades after this. But at the same time, there was another guy, I didn't have a young picture of him, so imagine him young, a guy named Donald McGavin, and... Uh, I'll just make sure you might smoke a cigarette there. At the same time this was happening, he catches the vision through the student volunteer movement to go to India. But while he was in India, instead of seeing the linguistic differences between peoples, he started seeing the societal cultural differences. And so he came up with this theory about homogeneous units, like we now call them people you heard that? These two guys, out of their work, Cameron Townsend and Donald McGavern, we now have what is really the main strategy for getting the gospel to the ends of the earth is this idea of reaching unreached people groups. Came out of a couple of students that just decided, you know what? Lord, send me. They're just being obedient. And you read their stories and it's like, okay, maybe they weren't kind of normal. What God did was extraordinary. They were just kind of normal guys. But we serve an extraordinary God who can do amazing things. So through their work, missions for the last 40, technically about 45 years, 43 years, I can't do the math right now, um, 
has been doing missions with unreached people groups in a lot of ways. Now, what we're talking with you about at Project 67 is not just about world missions. There are other stories and ways that God has used the college campus, but the, but the understanding is that our God, his heart, is for the world. And he is committed to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Therefore, because it's his heart, it needs to be our heart. So like the Psalm 67, which is where Project 67 comes from, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. We want the nations, all peoples, worshiping him. Now, you may never go overseas, but you can still have a significant contribution. God, I want to tell you about that I was at family with a guy named Nate. Nate was a D1 baseball player, got to play in the College World Series. Uh, the girl he was dating wound up being sent to Milan, Italy as a model. I mean, it's like Nate could have just pursued like all the kind of the normal dreams of the American dream or whatever, you know? But while he was in college, he caught a vision for giving his life away, some of the same stuff that you heard. And so he decided that, you know what, I want to spend a year of my life in East Asia. So he went overseas for a year. Um, he learned some Mandarin. Okay, I just told you where he was. Um, sorry about that. <coughs> he was in China. Um, <laughs> learns some Mandarin, comes back and decides to use the Mandarin that he learned. He's going to use it in business. So he starts starting some businesses. The opportunity to just have the normal life, right? Chase the American dream. But that wasn't enough for him. Because of what the Lord was doing in his life in college, the businesses that he's tried to start have been about how can I help people get overseas? Using part of his business to help send people Overseas, He's been thinking about that. I was talking with him about a month ago. I didn't realize this. But there are about four of his friends that they talk once a month. And now that they're in their 40s, what they're talking about right now, they're talking once a month just so they can pray together and talk about, God, how do you want to use us to do something big for the next 30 years? They're like, we don't know what God wants us to do, so we're just going to get together and pray once a month and just ask him, what do you want to do with us? That's what I'm talking about. One of the guys that he's tried to uh, send, uh, you heard the story that uh, I think we were talking about prayer. And the story on Project, a guy named John becomes a Christian the night that we were praying for him to become a, uh, become a Christian. He became a Christian at that hour. The story of John, right? John is one of those guys. He comes back to Sanford and starts sharing his faith like crazy. Um, there are some people that we're going to pray about tomorrow that are going overseas and became a Christian because of the work that John was doing. Well, John decides after he graduates, he's going to spend a year overseas. He actually only got to spend nine months because of visa stuff, but that's what he got to do. Came back starting his career. He's been working in business. He's been taking classes on the nations and missions. Um, he's just making money and learning a lot of skills. He's been making plans to go overseas, so he had some plans with Nate to get Nate's company was going to send him overseas. Something happened with that, so what did he do? He actually goes back and takes some classes to get more skills that would make him more marketable overseas. Why is he doing that? Because he's like, here am I, send me. I might be here forever, but I'm getting ready to go. He's just committed to whatever he's doing. He wants to see the Lord work. Through him, whether it's sending him overseas or staying here, 
Maybe I need to be more useful overseas. Maybe I'm more useful here. Here am I. Send me. The other day, I just happened to open up LinkedIn, and the first thing I see is John, and he's like with these guys with a, a group called Never Thirst, and they're like trying to get clean water and the gospel to, to people all over the world. <laughs> I just sent him a text like, tell me about this. This is awesome, you know. It's like he's just always trying to find some way. I got a fancy Schaefer of one of the great Christian thinkers of the 1900s. He said that the two greatest enemies of the modern church in America are personal peace and affluence. In other words, we're seeking comfort. So let's go back to our passage. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. Jesus has just led a woman to Christ. She's going back to her village. And they're worried about food. They're thinking about right here, right now, concerned with food. You think about the Lord's Prayer, gives us there our daily bread. Incredible prayer to pray. But not at the expense of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can't just be thinking about food and clothes and like, hey, what are we going to do tonight after Project 67? We can't just be thinking about right now. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That is what should be sustaining us. Food is something you have to have. And Jesus is saying, what I've got to have, what keeps me going, what's fuel for me to keep on going, is to do the will of the Father. Do we ever pray prayers like that? And he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Three different words there that he uses. Saying, lift your eyes up. Get your eyes off of yourself. Look out at what's coming. Quit just thinking about food. Quit just thinking about temporal things. Look at what's coming right there. And as Kent mentioned, that commentators uh, would say, they, when he says that uh, the fields are white for harvest, they may have been, the Samaritans may have been wearing white robes, and that's what they're seeing kind of along the fields. They're seeing these, these people in white robes coming up. That could have been what he meant also with kind of the metaphor of the white for harvest, some commentators would say. But he's saying, look at what's out in front of you. Just lift up your eyes, people. Now, these are the disciples that were with Jesus. How much more do we need to hear that, to lift up our eyes? Stop focusing so intently on yourself, on your plans, because God is at work in the harvest now. He's doing a work, and he is calling us to be a part of it. Because the problem is not the harvest, as we said. The problem is that the workers are few. Now, one of the things that you see about this passage, when he's talking about laborers, Kent mentioned this, and, and very briefly, one of the, the parables about laborers in the vineyard, and the, the guy goes out and he gets more. One of the things that we see from this word for laborer, it can mean an unskilled worker. In other words, one of the things that we just need to understand is it's not how equipped you are. It's how willing are you to step out and work for the Lord. How willing are you to just get in the game? Because what happens is, I don't know if I have this one highlighted. Yeah. Many Samaritans believe because of the testimony of the woman. 
What did you guys just work on? Was it last night, two nights ago? Testimony? She just went and said, hey, this guy told me all about my life. Surely this is the Christ. And it says people believe. How much theological training did she need? Did she have? She was just willing to share a story. And then... It says, many more believed because of his word. Jesus then preached, many more believed. A movement started because there was a woman who was ready, who was willing to just step out in the harvest. <laughs> this guy told me all about my life. This guy's got to be the Christ. This has got to be the one. Guys, there's this, there's this guy that changed my life. Surely this is him. This is the one our souls are longing for. What is your story that you can share? A laborer, we try to do all kinds of stuff to, to equip you. Equipping is great, it's good. We, we try to do a lot of equipping. But don't let that hold you back. Like, I just don't really get it. Because they're sitting here talking about you know, this statement in verse 30, um, the one, maybe it's on the other slide, but. He says that you say there are four months yet ready to harvest, but I say right now it's ready. In God's kingdom, the time is now. It's not late, guys. It is now. So the question is, how willing am I to step out into the harvest? Now, one of the things that we're going to do, I'm going to pray for us, and then it's, it's kind of crazy that uh, today, May 23rd, is actually the International Day for the Unreached. It's also the day that uh, Pentecost is being celebrated. So I'm like, man, is the Spirit going to come? Like, let's go, yeah? Um, but we're going to actually spend some time praying for unreached people groups. Just a few minutes, not too long. But let me pray for us, and then I will kind of introduce that. Father, I pray that we would lift up our eyes and that you would give us eyes to see. Help us to lift up our eyes and see that the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, that the fields are white, ready for harvest. They're all around us. They live with us. For some of us, they birthed us and raised us. For some of us, we speak to these people every single day. God, there are many of us in here that really need to step out and go across the world. There are many of us, Father, that need to just have the courage to step across the hall. But the same Spirit who will send some of us overseas and keep some of us here, that same Spirit is working in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, all around the world. You are doing a work and you are giving us the incredible privilege, incredible privilege of being a part of that. May we be willing to just step out, to lift up our eyes, to see the harvest. Give us the strength to do it. Give us the grace, Lord. We need it. I mean, the Spirit is willing. The flesh is so weak, though. So please help us. Lord.